Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Debrief Weekly Q&A show from your friends here at Sandal Church. Here I am, your co-host, Justin Party, across the table from Stephanie Schaefer. What's up, guys? And seated at the right hand of the PMB, Pastor Matt Brown. The right hand of the throne of God. That would be Jesus. Yes. yes. But I am at, actually, I'm on your left. Yeah. Right. You're at Stephanie's right hand. Stephanie's right yeah. hand. You're exactly. my right hand, you're... but Justin is at your right hand. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we all know who's boss at this table. Yep. <laughs> it's Stephanie. Okay, I'll take it. Yeah, uh, We are excited to announce that this episode, if you can guess it, is sponsored by our friends over at Gateway Seminary. If you are also involved in youth ministry or college ministry, Gateway actually offers specific certificate programs for those areas of ministry. You can learn all about that. And again, you only need a high school diploma or a GED to qualify for some of their certificate programs. So check those out at gs.edu. Yes. Yeah, I was involved in both youth ministry and college ministry here at Sandals Church, and I did not have a certificate and I am no longer involved in both youth <laughs> ministry or college ministry here at Sandals Church, so maybe you should consider. I think a certificate would have helped you. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, maybe it would have bought me a little or extra time. Or maybe at least the education that comes with the certificate. <laughs> yeah. Well, that certificate would help too. Yeah. Just you know what? I, like this certificate says, I can be with your children. Yeah, I I'm um, CPR certified. I have a certificate for that, but I oh, couldn't good. save anyone's life with CPR. So I have not. CPR but it's, I've only done CPR one time on a guy, and he died. Oh, but didn't oh, work for out. One. Yeah. yeah, it kind of creeped me out. For I've a also while. heard. Weren't that you at that retreat when that guy died? I was. I, you know, I. Yeah, yeah. He died right in front of me. He's like, Pastor Matt, I don't feel good. I was like, You'll be fine. Yeah, and I, I saw like, that happen oh, out there. Yeah, it was window. terrible. It was terrible. It was like literally before the before the retreat even started. So yeah, it was mm-hmm. awful. Yeah. Um, oh, on that note, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. We, we Merry Christmas, the everyone. Last episode talking about somebody, the guy that choked on a croissant. Last oh, yeah, episode. croissant. You got you to look for some other. I know. Things to share. I'm so negative. We were talking about that last night in small group. Like, I'm so not thankful because I'm glass half empty. Like that is me. Yeah. Mm. Like I, like I full time need to be hashtag thankful. But at least the glass is half empty with like Voss water or something mm. brought straight in here by the. I've been drinking smart water. Hands of thorn. Oh, nice. Ah, I've been drinking vitamin water. Mm. I've been drinking like tap water through our Brita. Yeah, you're great. probably going to die. I'm just assuming <laughs> vitamin water is uh, healthier than, uh, well, Gatorade or energy yeah, drinks. Yeah, it is, but it still has yeah. stuff in it. I know. Still not just water. I'm trying to, trying to move them slowly in yeah, the right yeah. direction. Okay. Let's start. Vitamin water. Good job, yeah. buddy. Well, speaking of good job, let's get into some questions that Pastor Matt can do a good job answering. Yeah. That'd you guys great. like that transition? It was a great weekend this weekend, man. Our it church was. super responded to worship, man. Yeah. And, um it was it was awesome. Yeah, it was over. we had to escort one person out who like did you hear stood up and said I'm full of and then used a profanity. <laughs> Wait, Aww. what? At the Hunter Park campus, I can't remember what what uh, service it was, but she stood up, read the Bible out loud, and then said like he's full of and then fill in the wow word. during your sermon. <laughs> right, no, like I think I had like just I was right at the end, but I, so I was just like oh, okay, well here we go. But uh, and you never know what you're gonna get at Hunter Park. So I if know. you attend another campus, you're lucky. I know. So. Is that palm? It was packed, but it was very chill. Yeah, I don't know why it is, man, but the, the fruits and the nuts, man, love Hunter Park. <laughs> they do, man. So, yeah, it was funny, man. People were like, like I could see people like running out of the, I think they thought that maybe she had a demon. She just was struggling with mental illness. Okay. So, and mentally ill people are welcome in our church. We love them. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay, Stephanie, I would like to try something with this next question because it's a little bit longer than normal, and okay. I noticed there's some parentheses. Okay, I don't okay. even do good with short questions. So how on earth are yeah, we going to get through Yeah, you're you the guy who I was like, context. please give me more details. I can't help you with, yeah. So. Well, because details help determine my answer. Well, exactly. we've got details. Oh, details galore. Must be a female. Here we go. I'm assuming this question was not written by a man. Oh, okay, here a man question is like, I struggle. That's <laughs> By word help. five, you're going to see that you're right. Yes, yeah, please That's, help. Stephanie, can yes. I read the parenthetical, and then you read the rest of the question. The rest of the question. I'll be like the narrator to this one. Yeah. So am I starting the question? Yeah, you'll read the question because it comes from. Well, I don't know. Spoiler Maybe you guys should Pastor discuss Matt. this before the show. Late, everyone but Pastor Matt. It's a question from a lady, so I think it's better if Stephanie reads it. Oh, so I was correct. No, I don't. But I no. Close your ears for a second, and let me re-say that again, so that you're surprised and take the question. I can't for, close my ears. Uh, I can close my eyes. That's a good point. Close your eyes. I'm just going to start reading the question. Okay, here we go. So Anonymous started in and said, I'm a first time mom. My son is a little younger than Stephanie's daughter. And I often have thoughts of his impending doom. I can't seem to help it. I'm always worried about something happening to him. You've mentioned about parents idolizing their children. And I worry that God might take him away from me for possibly loving him more than I love God. I don't mean for it to be that way. I just never thought I would love like this. Sometimes I feel like this isn't normal and I should pray about these thoughts. Are these thoughts irrational? Yes. That's a man answer. <laughs> yes, that's irrational. Okay. Yeah, totally. That's why we need to know the Word of God. The Word of God helps set our emotions straight. 
They do. I mean, that's why you got to know the word of God. So the, the way that we understand God's will is by learning slowly God's word and then applying it to our life. And that is called wisdom. And so um, love is powerful. I mean, you've experienced it with your thousand children. Yeah. You've experienced it with oh, your one. Yeah. And I have this similar thoughts to her. Oh, like, you do? I'll, yeah. I'm constantly picturing like uh, horrible things going to happen to my kids. But I think she said God would do something. Right. That's, she does say that. That's she worries irrational. That, that. But yeah. I think some of her like, thoughts of his impending doom and all that. I've totally had that. Yeah, well, kids are crazy and they have a mission every day to die, but that's not the Lord. That's their stupidity and lack of expertise. So, um, you know, we were at the the, uh, Amai's house on Sunday night and, uh, you know, they have a sharp table and I'm like, you gotta duct tape this, man. This is gonna kill Jack. Like, (laughs) you know, I mean, you can't control it. You got a big head, little legs, you -hmm. you, you know, you're walking funny. It's it's tough. You gotta pad everything. So, um, no, I mean, yeah, it being a parent is terrible that's why a lot of people don't realize you know where the term babysitting comes from uh i don't even want to try answering in this yeah so what it is is in the old world you got to go watch like an old popeye cartoon or whatever babies had this long robe like so they would wear like basically a dress that had this long almost like a bridal what do you call it the veil the the, the train and so what you did is you sat on the train so the baby could only be around you so literally when you were on babysitting duty you were sitting on the baby's train because think about it in, in the old in, in the old west, there's fireplaces, there's oh, knives, yeah. forks. I mean, it's it was a very very dangerous place, and so literally that's where the term "oh, you have babysitting duty," which means you sit on the baby's train so that the baby doesn't die, because that's just the way that wow. it was, and that's where the term comes from. Realize so yeah, tough questions it's, and great facts. It's scary, man. I mean, it's totally scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, this is why parents you need God, you need God's protection, God's prayer. But to think God is going to do something, man, that's the devil. That that mm-hmm. that that is literally darkness speaking. God loves your child more than you do. So think about mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. You think you love your kid, man? God loves your kid perfectly. God gave you that child. That that child is a blessing from God and on loan from God. Um, you know, the reality is that all the kids that we get are are literally God's gifts to us, and so we need to take care of that child, steward that child in the right way. And yes, it's terrifying. Absolutely. Um, I think slowly over time, you get a couple kids, you like parties, like, "Eh, well, we could lose one, we're okay. So, no, I'm kidding. We have puppy now. Yeah. And nine chickens. We can lose one of the chickens or all nine of the chickens. Yeah, but none of the kids. You don't want to lose the kids. Mm, Probably not. But uh, you have to admit, there is a difference between how terrified you are with one versus how many kids you have Absolutely. Six, seven? Exactly. Yeah, right. So there's a difference, you know, um, that first kid, you don't want anyone to touch. You make everybody wash their hands before they touch them. The next here's kid, how you're you, like, here's how you can tell the difference. By the way, is how much money you spend on their first birthday party mm-hmm. as it goes over time. Yep, <laughs> I think we spent like we took Cosette to Chick Fil A and gave her a cupcake with family for her first birthday party. Yeah, and your first son. Oh yeah, there was we rented well, tents, yeah. balloons, all yeah, all that. Yeah, everything. <laughs> yeah, just whatever. You're we're glad you're here. Yeah, here's a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> So that, that's a natural process. And, mm-hmm. and just know that, you know, even in our love, right? And so <clears throat> that's why everybody talks about doing everything in the name of love. The problem is even our love is broken. Mm-hmm. And so we can become very dysfunctional in the way that we love. And we can love our God, too, our God too much. We can love our kids too much. And so we need to make sure that we don't allow our children to become idols, but we need to make sure that we worship God and thank him for this beautiful gift. Mm-hmm. We have to love the giver and not the gift. But what we tend to do is fall in love with the gift and your children are a gift from God. So as much as you love that child, you need to then in turn that love and thankfulness towards God and just say, thank you so much. I can't believe, and praise God that you, you know, you love your child the way that you do. Not everybody does. You know, some moms do not attach, they they don't connect. um, And and that's a reality. Thank God, man, that God has given you um, that motherly love towards your child. And that's gonna bless your child, but not everybody gets to be raised in a home where a mom and dad love them like that. So. That's a good start. Yeah, the thing I was even thinking is, um, I just love how all throughout the scripture, so many times there's the metaphor of God's love for his people is the parent parental metaphor, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's hard, that's hard for a lot of us who have tricky relationships yeah. with our parents. But for this gal who loves her child, man, well, there's a that's what God's love is like. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yeah, so what she really has cool. to do is she has to temper and direct her love based upon God's word because our love will ultimately destroy our child. Imagine that. Your love, if left to itself, will destroy your kid. And and that's what happens. And a lot of parents, their kids are 18, 19, 20 years old, and they're like, all I've ever done is loved you. Well, if you teach your child their God and not that there is a God, by the time your child's 18 or 19 years old, you're going to be worshiping the devil. And that and that's what they turn into. Children who are treated like gods become devils. And, and that's what happens. So we have to make sure that we lovingly direct 
our kids and it's hard because you know you love them so much and it's hard for you to discipline your kids and so mm-hmm. um but you have to do that because you know an undisciplined child is a spoiled child so proverbs says if you spare the rod you spoil the child that's the king james version but basically what it means is a loving parent directs and disciplines for the child's benefit not because we're angry or upset or we're impatient though those are parental issues but because the the actual child's life is in danger and if you don't direct them you know i remember uh, i went to a really really small church gosh this is really going to freak her out but i mean I, maybe we had 60 70 adults and we had this kid named Randy in our church and he did whatever he wanted. His dad was a deacon in the church and some people don't know what that is, but it means that he was fairly powerful and influential in our small church. They were well-to-do. Um, and this kid just did whatever he wanted and he was just spoiled rotten. I remember one you know, instance specifically where we used to do celebrate 4th of July together. And so he helped light everybody fireworks and then he kept his um, for himself at the end and then wouldn't let anybody light his with him. And his parents were, they just, whatever he did, there was no consequences, whatever. And he went missing and we couldn't find him. It was terrible in our small church. And he was missing for like three months. And, um, oh, it was awful. It was on the news. Like think about like missing kids and uh, it it was terrible. And like they were interviewing psychics and it was bizarre. It was absolutely bizarre. But um, we grew up right near the Sacramento River and the American River. And so the river was swollen and everybody was told, you know, don't go near the river. It's dangerous. Well, he did whatever he wanted and they found him. Mm. in the river and I'll never forget that. And I just remember, um, wow, I need to, I remember I remember specifically because I wasn't the world's greatest listener. I know that's hard for you guys <laughs> to uh, acknowledge, but I remember thinking, wow, there are real consequences when you don't listen to your parents and you just do whatever you want. Mm. So he did, he did whatever he want. Nobody knew where he went. So they had, they had no idea of where to look for. And it was terrible, man. It was terrible. These psychics, you know, were telling the parents, you know, he'd been abducted and like all this crazy stuff. Ugh. And, um, and he died, he was 13 years old. Oh so I would have been 11 at the time. So I thought he was super cool mm-hmm. and he got to do whatever he wanted to do. And he just was, you know, he was the baby. He was the only boy and he was spoiled. I hate to say it, but rotten. And uh, God forbid his you know sisters or whatever ever hear this show, you know, and, and so please understand, love your family. I'm sorry for your loss, but I remember that child. I remember he was terrible. And the reason he was terrible is he was undisciplined. Mm-hmm. They loved him too much. They worshiped him rather than God. And so, right, God um, wants us to discipline our children and direct them and guide them. And ultimately what happened to him is he lost his life way too young, way, way too young. And it was simple because he hadn't been taught to follow rules and directions. I knew, you know, when the water's rising, you need to not be around there. And, you know, parents nowadays can't imagine that, but in the eighties, man, go watch, uh, What's that Netflix special? Stranger, Stranger Things, Things mm-hmm. man. Dude, the 80s was a crazy time. We went everywhere. Like I rode my yeah. bike like miles, man. <laughs> my wife was freaking out the other day because our son was down the street. He's si- almost 16. <laughs> he, he literally was like a block away and my wife was like, yeah, you know. I'm just like, man, I was in other towns when I was 16. <laughs> it was just crazy, man. The, the it's 80s. True. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. All right, we're going to jump into a whole bunch of questions all about uh, healing broken hearts uh, coming straight out of your sermon for part two of the Hashtag Thankful series this weekend. Did you like how we did that parenthetical for the last question? I thought it was pretty nice. Well, technically you still did the parenthetical speaking as a woman, so I don't think you accomplished what you were going for. Okay. I realized in the middle of it, but go for this one. Well, what I was thinking was this one opens and then it ends with a colon. What if I do the first part and then you do the actual question? I think it confuses me. So why don't you just read it? Just read it. If you're going to do it, I believe in you. Okay, here we go. There's probably like thousands of listeners agreeing with me right now. Mm-hmm. I, I speak want, for I the silent majority. <laughs> hey guys, I love the show and this church. Thank you all for all that you got. Are you sure? You want to give this to Stephanie? Okay. Hey guys, I love the show in this church. Thank you for all that you guys have done to help me grow in my walk with Jesus and give practical advice to help navigate this world doing so. So I always hear you say how you need more details when it comes to the questions. Oh, here it comes. So here's some background. Yep. Another woman question. Colon. Right? Thank you, ladies, for the questions. Here it is. I've been in a relationship with this guy for going on two years now. In the first year and a half, we claimed to be Christians, but wouldn't walk the walk. When I listened to your sermons on sex, it truly convicted me. I wanted to stop having sex with my boyfriend, and at first, he did not agree. Mm, Shocker. He was addicted to porn and was not wanting to give up sex in our relationship, but also did not want to leave. Looking back, I know that that staying in the relationship wasn't the right thing to do, but we both stuck it out anyway. We weren't having sex, but he was still watching porn in place of the sex and glancing at other women wherever we are. 
He's admitted to all these things being a real problem for him, and he is seeking help through the men's sexual freedom group. But I don't know how to deal with the feelings of resentment and distrust and lack of worthiness in this relationship or the next. I've tried praying and giving it to God to let him work out with this, uh, work it out with his soul. How do I actually deal with this? Wow, that was like super, super detailed. So first of all, thank you for um, reading the question so well. You're welcome. No, thank you for being super honest and super clear. Okay. Um, I'm super proud of the fact that you recognize that you were claiming one thing and living a different thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really, really important. A lot of people just don't. They're not even bothered by it. When you should be the most frightened uh, about your relationship with God is when you're not at all frightened about the sin that you have in your life. And that, man, that that is when you are so distant from God. Your heart has grown so cold. You just, you just don't care. And that's a really dangerous place to be. So I'm glad that you, excuse me, that you care. I think that's great. So it sounds like you guys try to do the right thing. The problem is um, your boyfriend has done, um, you know, something that, you know, a, a lot of boys struggle with. And that, and that is that they're just fascinated with their penises. And that's just the reality. So our friends, their one-year-old just discovered he has a penis and he loves that thing. And so the problem is boys need to not be one. They need to grow up and fall in love with something else. And that's God. So the male sex drive is powerful, absolutely powerful. It's why I believe when God calls Abraham that circumcision is the sign of the relationship. And so what that means is I'm gonna need you to cut back on your sex drive so that you can love me with all of your heart. So See what you did there. Yep. So if you don't know what circumcision is, it's cutting off the tip of the foreskin. I, I think God's intentional. There's a reason that's the sign of our relationship. And that is because God needs to be our number one drive. We seek to please him, love him and serve him. And that's just the reality. So it sounds to me like your your boyfriend has an addiction. Now addictions are scary, scary things. Um, it, it's just really, really scary things. So your question is, how do I trust him? How do I trust someone in the future? So the first thing I would do is, what I would do is I would give your boyfriend over to the men's sexual purity group. He is no longer your problem. You are not married. You need to let him go, pray for him, love him as a brother in Christ and let him fix that problem. And here's why. Oftentimes, uh, when we create sexual patterns within relationships, they're almost impossible to break because the way that we connect is we connect through sex. And so it's hard to stop connecting that way. It's oftentimes easier to start something right in something new. And so what I would just say is just let him go. Man, if God brings you guys back together at some point in time in the future, but this guy's going to need at minimum, at minimum, a year of no porn, no masturbation before I would even take a call. I mean, that's just the reality because he has trained himself to use sex as, as a comforting thing. So he's using sex to sleep. He's using sex to ease his anxiety. He's using sex to feel good. So like, you know, that same reason alcoholics use what they use or meth addicts use meth you know, addiction. So he's using this to feel something, to escape something, to experience something. And the problem is, inevitably what that means is he's going to see you as an object and you can't fall in love with an object. You just can't. Mm -hmm. And so as long as he sees women as objects, he's never going to be able to be loved. I had this conversation with a guy in our church um, who's in his uh, late sixties. And he said, I've never been in love. And at least he was honest enough to share that with me. And the reason is because you can't fall in love if you see women as tools. And that's what pornography trains us to do is it trains us to worship the shape It trains us to worship um, the sex that we have with them. We enter into fantasy and fantasy is really a form of worship and you're worshiping sex. That's what it is. And so you're going there. So your boyfriend needs to learn to worship God. And the best thing for him is to not be in a relationship for a period of time, to not masturbate for a period of time, to not look uh, at pornography for a period of time. And and you've got to do that. Um, He's in the right place. He's in the great place. He's on the right track. Now we need to talk to you. So what you've got to do is you've got to deal with the emotional damage uh, and and the spiritual reality of the union that you've experienced with him. And so that's what's happened is you've given yourself sexually to him and so that you feel like, oh my gosh, in order to make it right, I have to get married. No, in order to make it right, you have to repent. That's what you need to do. And so a lot of people confuse that. It's what you need to do is repent of your sins and turn away from this guy and turn towards God. I'm not saying in the future, it can't work out, but you trust me, you do not want to be married to a guy who's addicted to sex. You just don't, okay? Monogamous, monogamy is a choice and it's something men must practice. I don't believe that most men are naturally monogamous. I just don't believe that most men are. I would certainly say I was not that way when I was a young man. I had to make a choice to trust God 
Okay. <clears throat> and this is why, you know, sex is such an important topic. And oftentimes we focus on those who struggle with same sex attraction, but the re reality is attraction is a problem. doesn't matter where you're same sex attracted or if you're opposite sex attracted, we want to be driven by God. And so what you've got to do is trust God in this process to restore you, to heal you. And you've got to build your relationship up with God so that you can find the right kind of guy that's going to love you. Because what I would ask is, your fear in that you can't trust the next guy really says to me, you can't trust yourself and how you choose. Um, because oftentimes people would rather be miserable than be alone. And especially, you know, women, you've got to choose. You have to be willing to be alone if, if you want to follow God. And, and that's just the reality because God has to be first. And it's really, really tough and difficult. So here's the sad thing is, so let's say, um, you know, you marry, uh, or you meet a guy like me. Okay, I don't look at porn. Um, masturbation is not a part of my life. That's not what, what I do. So now, now I'm going to be judged because of this last guy. That's unfair and that's not right. And so then it's going to create conflicts in us. And this is why you don't want to get, get uh, sexually involved with people because what you have in marriage is a crowded bedroom. The bedroom is crowded with porn that I've seen, sexual experiences that I've had in relationships where I've been hurt. And sex is you know, everybody thinks it's so easy. Sex is this, this process of physical, spiritual, and emotional union. And that's not easy. It's not easy. Like being into each other, being present for each other. Um, and, and what a guy needs to learn, a guy needs to learn how to care for a woman and, and, and care about her. What is happening to her in that moment? Uh, does she feel appreciated versus used? Because a lot of women, you know, tell me all the time, Pastor, I feel so used. Even in marriage, I feel so used. And, and I've had to, um, really, you know, in my relationship with my wife, that's the last thing I want her to feel is used. I mean, that's, I, that's gross to me. And I, I just don't, I don't, I don't want that. Um, I, I want her to feel loved, cared for. Um, and I also want to be loved and cared for by her. And so we have to meet each other and understand that we're, we're very, very different. And we feel those things in different ways. Um, so what my wife desires during sex is closeness. Oftentimes what I desire during sex is sex. <laughs> so we have, to, we, 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 have to, we have to work through that. And that's where I need God in my life to check myself um, because it, it, man, it, it's a weird, weird thing. And so what you guys have done is you have practiced sinning with sex. Now you have to practice doing it right with sex. And so I think the best thing for you guys is to take a step apart. For him, I would shoot for a year. I would say, I want to be porn free and masturbation free for a year because he has an addiction problem. And it's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. But here's what a lot of single guys don't understand is, is even when you get married, um, there are gonna be periods, um, and I use that word specifically, where you don't have sex because she's on her period or she's had a baby. And right, uh, they are just seasons of life where you can't, or, or, or you're just tired, you're exhausted, something's happened. So you need to learn to, to exist in a relationship not for the sake of sex, but for the sake of the relationship. And guys need to practice that. Um, I think most women need to learn how important sex is. And so if you're a single gal, what I would say is, if you're not, if you don't desire to have sex with this guy on a regular basis, and what I mean by regular is, you know, I mean, it depends upon your age, health, whatever, but a couple times a week. I don't know why I looked at you, sorry. A couple <laughs> times a week. Um, that's the assumption. Um, you know, I've met women who think, you know, sex like once every couple months is good. And I'm like, okay, you need to not be married. That's not, that's not normal. Um, a healthy sex life is usually representative of a healthy marriage. So when the sex is off for a period of time, not for a season, sometimes there's a season, but for a period of time, there's something wrong in their relationship. You guys are not connecting. So women need to understand, uh, I want to give myself um, to my husband on a regular basis. I want him to feel into me. Um, we've talked about this before on the show that the number one thing men watch when they watch porn is not the women's body. Do you remember what it was? Their face. Their face, their eyes. Because what porn stars do is they create the illusion that they're into it. Mm -hmm. And so guys are longing to be longed for. That's what they want. And so when they feel rejected, they feel, and, and women, you, you know, this, this is why, you know, um, we're gonna have long talks with God about why he created men and women so differently. But women have no idea how sensitive men are, how easily they can be hurt, how wounded we are. Um, you know, I would say that the lie my wife believed for the first 10 years of our marriage is that I couldn't be hurt. Mm -hmm. Well, when you believe that, right, you say whatever you want, you just let it fly. And I didn't allow her to see that, hey, that's hurting me, that's wounding me. 
And so then that turns me into myself and then you self-soothe, self-heal. So a guy will turn to friends, hobbies, sex, booze, whatever else to, to soothe themselves. And, and again, that's why this series, cast all your cares upon God because he cares for you. What we need to learn to do is turn ourselves towards God in those moments where we're feeling hurt, wounded, sad, depressed, whatever. And so what I would really encourage you to do is really, really, the guy spend a year focused on God. And again, if, man, if you can get to a year, a year porn free um, and masturbation free, man, I think, I think you've changed your life. If you can get to a year, 12 months, man. Uh, I had a friend of mine who was a sex addict and he set the goal of one year and he got to a year and he literally heard the Lord say, I, I need another lap. Mm. And he did a whole nother year before he even dated because he just felt like he had so molested his mind when it came to sex that he just didn't, you know, so he spent he spent a, a year abstaining completely. Then he had to spend a year entertaining. So there's a year of abstaining, then a year entertaining. What does healthy relationships look like? And he had to dabble in that. And he had to really work, work on being uh, ready for emotional intimacy, ready for spiritual leadership. Um, because the physical act of sex is relatively simple, but connecting two souls together is, is a challenge every time. And um, that's why I think you need, in marriage, you need honesty and openness. Um, and you need to be able to say, I feel rejected or I feel loved when. And, um, you know, and I, I think that that's really, really important. But it's not just single people who have issues with sex. We have issues with sex because our culture is broken. It's absolutely broken and, and it's a disaster. And, and, and you have to ask yourself, who knows better about sex, culture or God, right? And um, so we have to trust God in this. And so again, he, I would say he'd take a year. And so what you need to do is maybe take a year and just say, I'm not going to date. I'm not going to date either. And I'm going to let myself heal. I'm going to let myself grow. And again, if it's this guy, it's great. But if it's somebody else, man, that's great too. Listen to me, single Christians, just because you've had sex doesn't mean you need to get married. You don't fix a sin with another sin. You just don't do that. And so, and again, this is why young people, you know, we, we will have sex with people that we don't necessarily want to marry and that's dumb. You know, uh, one of my old friends used to say, he said his dad told him, uh, don't bed what you won't wed. So, right. Uh, and he's probably dying in his car right now because he, he listens to the show. But he I think that's good advice. You know, you need, you, you need, to, you need to think about that. Um, what kind of person do you want to be with? Like, I really, my kids think it's gross, but I really enjoy my wife. We've been married, oh man, what is this? It's gonna be 23 years this year. I always have to take Madison's age and subtract a year to figure it out. <laughs> but uh, 23 years, I really enjoy being with her. Um, you know, I enjoyed being in bed with her last night. We weren't intimate sexually. I, I just enjoy her. I enjoy being, we're having some issues though. We both got weighted blankets. Oh. Weighted blankets is an intimacy challenge. <laughs> it is. Okay. Yeah, it's like, like you, when you say something's come between us, it's literally 40 pounds of blanket. <laughs> so, um, but it feels so good. The blankets, man. It's just oh, like, oh. I've heard about these. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And I got one that's <clears throat> cooling. So, cause oh. guys were sweaty. And it helps me out. Aren't you a hot sleeper too? Yeah. So it's it was expensive. It was like two hundred bucks. Okay. But super awesome. I'll dream of that. Wow. I love it. Like my wife, she loves me. She got it for me. So it's so good. I got to look into that. I know the weight, but the cooling. I would let you borrow it, but it feels kind of like an intimacy violation. So okay, did I answer all of her questions? Because I think you definitely did. I would say so. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for being honest. I'm proud of both of you that he's in sexual healing. So if he's just beat up right now. But listen, man, throw the gauntlet down now because you think sexual sin has screwed you up now. Wait till you're married. It will destroy you. It'll destroy your kids. It will wreck your life. Pornography is the devil. It just is. It, it, it lies. Everything about it's a lie. And it's disgusting and filthy. And, um, you know, if you're a Christian and you're still drawn to porn, God still has to do a real work in your life. Um, so... That, that's just the reality, you know, and I have two daughters and I want them to, they're both beautiful, but I want them to be loved as a person. <clears throat> I mean, I want them to be cherished, protected, and I want somebody to be loyal to them. And, um, um, and that's why I'm raising up my son too. I want my son, you love one woman. I love that in Braveheart when they get married. I watched Braveheart yesterday, listeners, my son. <laughs> and he says, the wedding vows, he says, I will love you and no other mm. for my life. And I was just like, oh, 
And he still loves her when she's dead. It's true. Oh my gosh. Uh, Spoiler before, alert. Sorry. <clears throat> before we go on to the next question, uh, if you are a parent who regularly listens to the debrief in the presence of your children, maybe in the car while oh, you're driving. Sorry. No, uh, no. Well, yeah. yeah, maybe sir. I'm just curious. Do you exist? Like, I would be like, nah, that doesn't happen. But if you do exist, you have to let us know because otherwise we won't know. So just reach out to us this week. Maybe leave an Instagram comment. Sure. Yeah, if it's negative for Justin. Yeah, yeah, no. <clears throat> just letting us know that they're... Yeah, we want no feedback. No feedback. You you want to give us feedback? You go to the iTunes store, you leave a five-star review. All we want to know is, do you regularly listen to this show in the presence of your children? Yeah. Did just you hear they're going to have podcast awards? Just curious. Some uh, radio station locally is doing podcast awards because oh. podcasts are becoming such a big deal. There are some 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 definite awards out there. I got to be honest, I would put an entry for my own self in the way that I read that last question first in the background information mm -hmm. leading up to the colon. I'm going to put in an award for you for most humble mm -hmm. podcast co-host. Most humble, self-aware. Self-aware. Mm. <laughs> I will participate in the planning of this ceremony. Yes. All right. It's going to be the best ceremony ever. Great question. Great <clears throat> details. Thank you for your yeah. honesty. And just know, I mean, you know, every choice we're making, right, is creating... A, a lifestyle of consequences. And so mm -hmm. it takes, so here's what we what we want to believe. We want to believe that I can make 80 bad choices in a row, but one decision with God can wipe all of those away. So the decision for God is simply the biggest decision in the next 80 decisions in a row where I turn away from all those bad decisions. Mm -hmm. And I say, I'm not going to give myself over to sex. And, uh, and oh, I, I, let me comment on this. At least he was honest about the porn thing. A mm -hmm. lot of guys would just lie to you. Like, oh yeah, I quit looking at it. So praise God that he at least has the integrity to be honest with you about yeah. it because a lot of people lie about it. Yeah, and it seems like you've got the right head on your shoulders. You know, like we probably shouldn't have stayed together. You know that these things are probably gonna affect your next relationship. And I think just being honest with yourself about that is a huge step too. Don't you think that's a trap though? Because I mean, you counsel a lot of women in our church. They start having sex with a guy that they wouldn't stay with, but they feel bad, so they're in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that that that's the nightmare of sex before marriage is yeah. like- You've crossed lines where you're like, oh, now I got to make it work. And it's yeah. like, no. And there's something I think in women that we want, like, I think she probably wants so badly for him to get better. And she wants to be a part of him getting better because like, she cares about him. But I think you're right that in this case, it's best for them to be apart while they both heal. Because she's got a lot of healing to do too. I mean, the way that she's got to feel knowing that that's what her significant others engage in all the time. And she talks about, you know, him looking at other women too. Oh, and she yeah. feels well, oh, yeah. I that. didn't even comment on that. So yeah. that's, that's there's healing the, for her. That's the disease of pornography is that objectifies women. So of mm -hmm. course he's going to look at women. And so here's the magic of great sex, selflessness. What is porn? Selfishness. So it's, it's going in completely the wrong direction. It's saying, I'm going to pick the person I want with the racial, you know, uh, the color of skin I want, the height I want, breast size, penis size, like we're right, I, me, 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 all the way down, and you wonder why you 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 have a terrible sex life. It, it's like because pornography is the definition of selfishness, whereas intimacy is selflessness. Mm -hmm. I'm giving myself to you. So when you read in First Corinthians chapter seven, um, which is the chapter on marriage, Paul says that your body is not your own; that you need to, and he starts actually with men saying you need to give your body to your wife. So you need to, to please her and take care of her sexually. And the only two exceptions are for a period of time where you are praying, uh, I forget what the other one, or fasting. I, I think, I, man, shoot, I should have read First Corinthians 7 before we do. But he gives two reasons. One's prayer. The other one is, Stephanie, I'll look it up in the show notes. Okay. But uh, I'm pretty sure it's for a period of prayer or fasting. So um, otherwise, sexual intimacy needs to be a regular part of a relationship and the husband needs to give his body to his wife and the wife needs to give her body to the husband. And it's a mutual act of selflessness is the act of emotional, spiritual, and physical unity that God intended for sex. And that's what he wants. But we live in a society where we've made sex all about me and what I want. And so I'm going to use you to get what I want for me. And that is a nightmare that, that nothing good comes from that. And, um, and so here's the thing is, if this guy could be real with me um, and we could sit down, if he could be honest, he would admit that pornography ruined the experience with her. That he would, that, that he, what he would be doing is simply acting out with her the things he saw online. So he's not even with her. He, he's using her, you know, as a crash test dummy to work out the fantasies that he saw. And then some people, right, try to blend it. We're going to watch this and we're going to, I mean, it, it just becomes this horrific, horrific thing. 
And uh, anybody who says pornography will make your relationships better, there is no statistical data in psychology, not a religion to back that up. Matter of fact, it makes it worse. Mm -hmm. Focusing on something else rather than each other doesn't help. Shocker. <laughs> wow, yeah. this got real. Do you think uh, you were compelled to give such a detailed and thorough answer because of the way I, I read and asked that question? Yes, I think you were completely responsible for that whole last segment. Congratulations. So. Yeah. Let's move on. All right, so Lena wrote in, and I love how she opened. She says, I honestly wanted to write in as anonymous, but I'm keeping it real. Yay. I've been watching past episodes of The Debrief to catch up and got stuck on episode 63, uh -oh. where you answered a woman who wrote in about her husband being divorced and the whole issue about divorce being similar to adultery. Mm. I'm a woman who thought she knew God, but I turned my back for many years. In that time, I met a man, got pregnant, and we decided we needed to get married. So we did but we later divorced and I'm now remarried and have been for almost seven years. Mm. A couple of years ago, I found myself at Sandals around Christmas and I rededicated my life to God. I've repented of my sins and I've asked God for forgiveness. But when I heard your response to that woman, I began to doubt if God had forgiven me and if I'm a child of God. I attend church every Sunday, I give and I serve. Am I really forgiven? Can my husband and I serve in the church like on the worship team or lead since we're not we're considered adulterers? Yeah, so again, we're all sinners. Jesus said, if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So what that means is Justin's an adulterer, I'm an adulterer. Maybe Stephanie's not an adulterer. I don't know what your issues are. So, I mean, I know some of your issues. I just don't know if that's one Don't want to call them out on the radio. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we're all, we're all guilty mm -hmm. of this. Here's the, here's the key. You've repented of your sin. It has nothing to do with serving, which serving's great, giving's great, coming to church. Those are all great things. Those things don't save you. What saves you is repenting of your sins and placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So what keeps you from serving at Sandals Church is a lack of repentance. You're saying, I don't need to repent from this and I can continue to live in this lifestyle and God accepts it. Those are the people that we can't allow to serve at Sandals Church. So, uh, so we're all sinners, but if we are living in active sin and we refuse to repent, then you, you nullify yourself from being a part of any part of uh, leadership or even serving. Um, you can come and we hope that the message of God touches your heart and, and speaks to you, but that's the reality. So all I was trying to say is it is sin. And I don't know, again, why Christians have such a hard time admitting things are sin. The biblical definition of sin is not evil. The biblical definition of sin is missing the mark of perfection. So, you know, I, I, don't, know, I don't know why that's hard for Christians to admit. I sin every day. I miss perfection every day. I make mistakes every day. Occasionally I commit an, commit an act of evil. And it's like, man, I, I shared this with my small group last night. Have you ever had like a super evil thought? Oh my gosh, I was running on my day, on Veterans Day, I'm running. I'm at, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm out in the orange groves, I'm running on the canal. I have this thought and, I, and I'm like, holy, oh, I don't wanna say, I'm like, oh my God, I, I had to stop running, I had to stop my watch. And I was like, okay. in the middle of my run, I'm like, God, what is wrong with me? I was like, that was dark. Mm. Like I, I had like a, 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 an evil thought and I just, I had to stop pray. And I, I, I felt like it took me a mile to get over it. I was like, man, that was really bad. I just share that in a small group. It was so bad. It was just, it was just weird. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I, I didn't intend to get there. My mind just kind of wanders while I'm running. And it was, it was weird. And I was like, Ooh. Mm -hmm. so, so I say I sin every day, but that man, I had an evil thought. Like, mm. Like, you know, it was like, I can conquer the world and kill everyone. You know, it was like, Ugh. it was bad. I was like, man, <laughs> Man, it's really bad. So maybe it's because I watched Braveheart and I was like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> that might have something to do with it. Oh my gosh. I'd rather I'd rather you be out there running on the canals is being inspired by Braveheart than doing the whole blue butt thing. What's the blue butt thing? Remember they paint their butts and Oh yeah, that's awesome. I want to do that too. <laughs> of course. See, I knew it. Yeah, <clears throat> man, it's incredible. So 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 just knows um what was her name? Alina. Alina, thank you for your honesty. You did sin. But instead of looking at what you did, you need to look at what Jesus did. He died on the cross. Mm -hmm. He bled and died for you. Um, you, you. You sinned. You didn't just make a mistake. You sinned. Divorce is a sin. Divorce people hate it every time I say this. Okay, it's a sin. That's what it is. We need to, let's not paint a turd. That's what it is. Like we try to come up with an excuse. It And I don't care how much chocolate you put on that. It's a chocolate covered turd. That's what it is. Bring it to the cross. And it affects people. It negatively affects kids, you, uh, it it, it, ha it it has e even div divorces that are ne necessary mm -hmm. are sin. Mm -hmm. 
So, and sometimes as the church, we're forced to encourage divorce because it's the lesser of the other evil, the other mm-hmm. potential evils. And so, um, you know, so like if if a woman's in danger, you know, we have to encourage her to break her vows to save her life. It's the lesser of two evils, but mm-hmm. it's still it still is wrong. You made a vow before God, but we have to right. We have to do that, and so people people have a hard time with that. You know, we all want to rationalize our sin. Self righteousness is the greatest sin we all struggle with. We can so here's if you don't know what self righteousness is, it's coming up with repeated reasons why you did what you did was okay. That's self righteousness. Well, I, I, I did that because, and we all do this every single day. And so here's what's bizarre: growing up as a kid, the religious right was self righteous, and they still are. Mm-hmm. But now the secular left is religious, is secularly righteous. They're self righteous in and of themselves. It's it it is bizarre. It, it, it was bizarre. Um, so our, our, our culture is becoming on the left and on the right self-righteous. Like, who are you? And what that means is I am this. Mm-hmm. And it's it's terrifying. Um, when I first was in ministry, there used to be a saying, but by the grace of God, there go I. Mm-hmm. You just don't hear people say that anymore. Everyone is offended and just aghast at what you've done. They're just like, oh my gosh. You know, and it's because you don't know yourself. You just do not know yourself, man. Given the opportunity, you know, it's terrifying to think about what you might do if you could totally get away with it. Mm-hmm. If you could totally get away with it, if you knew there would never be a consequence, it's amazing what many of us would do. And that's because there's sin, there's sin in our hearts. And so what we need to do is bring that to the, to the cross. And so thank you for your question. You are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourself. Ooh. That's the gospel. So we're saved by Jesus Christ. So bring that to the cross. You've confessed it move on. Mm-hmm. You're good. And you're welcome to serve at our church. I'm so glad you got your life right. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Here's an anonymous question that just breaks my heart. Annie Moss. Yep. I'm going to have a baby in a few weeks and we've had a not so great diagnosis for him. He's likely going to be born with a handful of problems that will mean that he's already facing several surgeries and procedures. While we are happy to be blessed with a child, the hardest thing is that people keep praying for God to heal him. And as far as we can tell, that hasn't happened. In fact, we had even more bad news about his condition after people prayed. I just want to know, should people be praying for God to heal him? To me, it seems like it's giving hope of a change that isn't coming. I know that God gets to choose what happens, but how do we know, how do we keep faith in him when it seems like everything is going wrong right now? What is the biblical way to look at things like children being born with defects? Well, okay, there's a lot there. So the first thing I would say, I love you. I'm so sorry for that. Um, You know, it's it's so 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 difficult to watch children suffer. It is just the ugliest part of the reality of living in a fallen, broken world. Um, sin didn't just affect us spiritually; it affected us emotionally, and it's affected us biologically. It affects us. What that means is children are born with defects. Children are born where things don't work uh, exactly right, and um, and that's why every healthy baby is a miracle of God. So. Um, the first thing I would say is I, I think it's absolutely okay to pray for healing. I, that's what I would pray. I would pray for that every single day. Um, so, and here's how I would pray it. God, please heal my child. Ultimately not your will be done or my, not, not my will, but your will be done and help me to love this kid no matter how they come out. Mm. No matter what it is, God, help me to love this child. And if your child has, um, you know, disabilities are so severe, you may not have that child for a long time. So you wanna make sure that you're intentional about every day. And, and those are gonna be some dark days. Those are gonna be some difficult days. Um, you know, we just, um, remember that uh, baby that we we went and ministered to mm-hmm. right before, I, I think I went with you to India. She had, mm-hmm. their daughter had brain cancer mm-hmm. and we went to their house. I saw her at um, uh, Clark's Nutritional Food. And I, I just said, you know, cause I haven't seen her since um, yeah. their baby died. And I just said, how are you doing? And she said, I'm doing really good. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's been amazing to watch a family grieve ultimately lose a child to terrible disease um, at a young age. And yet you see them on the backside, still growing, still trusting, still grieving. Um, There's still difficulties and still challenges, Um, but they've, you know, they've served well. And so again, um, a lot of people are surprised when child children are born with defects. I'm always surprised when my kids didn't. And I, I think that's just because I've been exposed to so many painful situations and invited into so many great families who've had such challenges, um, you know, and that's the other thing. When, when you grow up in the church, like I did, I think you just have a more authentic understanding of life. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like people that aren't in church, they only know the people they know. Their their uh, contact with others is very limited. When you're in church, you know a whole lot more people than other people do. So growing up as a kid, I saw suffering, I saw hurting, mm-hmm. you know, and as uh, growing up as a pastor's kid, we were directly involved mm-hmm. in those situations. And um, so I, I just have a different perspective than a lot of people. I'm not surprised by things. I've seen people... Um, I mean, two of the most influential pastors in my life both lost their sons. So uh, Greg Laurie lost Christopher, his oldest son, and uh, Rick Warren lost his youngest son, Matthew. So um, in both tragic, terrible, awful circumstances, and and it's changed their life mm-hmm. uh, in some ways for the worse and in many ways for the better. And so I, I've seen that and it's just like, wow. And um, one of the things I remember that Greg Laurie said that really spoke to me is he said, I thought I knew what it would be like to lose a child because he had walked so closely with people that lost children. He said, I had no idea. You know, and my grandfather told me, um, and you could pray for him because he's lost his mind. He's still alive, but his brain is not. Uh, he doesn't know who he is, who, who we are. But he told me this when he was still clear. He said, Matt, death is always, death and suffering are always academic until they're real. And so it's one thing to understand it from afar. It's another thing to experience it. And so what she's experiencing is real. What I'm doing is pontificating about how I think I would handle it. And so I need to be aware of that, that I have, I have no idea mm-hmm. what it would be like to have a child like this. Um, praise God, you live in America. Um, you know, one of the things that scares me so much about our country moving towards socialized medicine is... Uh, countries that have socialized medicine, the country decides whether or not the child receives treatment or not. And so uh, many times parents in England try to get their kids here. And you remember the famous ruling last year where the the courts of England ruled that the child could not be brought to America for treatment. So we're blessed that we live in a country where parents decide Mm -hmm. what the treatment is rather than the government. And so um, that's one of the, the great evils of socialized medicine that nobody talks about. Um, they talked a little bit about it when Obama was in office. I think they were called um, death councils or I forget what it was called, but but that's the reality, right? When the government's paying, they have input. And um, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's really, really difficult. So praise God you're in America. And um, man, we have great foundations, uh, great children's hospitals where parents can receive treatment and there's no cost. And I would encourage Christians everywhere to give to those hospitals because praise God for them uh, in what they do. And um, it's just an amazing thing. St. Jude is one of those hospitals. Um, you know, I've given money to that. I support them. There's no cost to parents. Uh, you know, the Ronald McDonald House, one of my good friends supports that at Loma Linda. Mm-hmm. Fantastic where parents can come and stay for free. So um, as Christians, we don't just need to send our sympathy. We need to send our, our finances and mm-hmm. we need to, we should be the very best at helping children uh, who are suffering and parents who uh, have these situations. And that's what we do at Sandals the best we can. Like we can't ultimately determine what happens to children, but we can determine how we treat the family and how we love on them as they uh, deal with that. And, um, you know, we lost uh, um, a baby, I think it was two weeks ago. And we had some of our ministers go and hold a stillborn baby mm-hmm. that was born. And, um, you know, guys, you need to thank God for our pastors and our staff at our church because they do that. And uh, I was with the, uh, the minister who held that baby and prayed. And um, it was rough, but that's what we do as Christians, right? We don't run from the fire, we run into it. And um, that's what we're called to do because that's what Jesus does. So what I would say is keep praying, keep asking for a miracle. Um, Philippians 4, 7, don't worry about anything. So whether your kid is born with incredible disabilities or is 100% healthy, uh, God's in control. Don't worry about it. So God, God is not unaware of what's happening in your life. He's going to move in your life. And Romans eight twenty eight says, God causes all things to work for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Look, it may not be fixed in this life, but it will be dealt with in eternal life. And I, and I believe that. We talk a lot about on this show, uh, just so many of the passages that Isaiah prophesies about when he sees the new heaven, when he sees the new earth, right? There are children present. And so, you know, we don't we don't know what that is, but Jesus says in the next life, we will not be married nor given in marriage. So life is gonna be different, but we're gonna look like angels and yet they're children. Mm. So I, I think so much of that is um, we get the opportunity, right? Jesus says he will wipe away every tear. He will make all things right. And those children that we've lost, 
uh, that tremendous suffering, we will get to see those people grow up. And, and that's just my belief. Um, there's a lot of pastors that might disagree with me, but um, it's the only way I can make sense out of those passages where there clearly are children, little children mm-hmm. uh, that are present um, in the next life. So um, my heart goes out to you. I'm, I'm, I'm so, so sorry for that. And everyone who has children that are driving you nuts, that are healthy, you need to just thank God for them tonight and just praise God because you are, you know, you, having children changes your life as you've experienced, but having a disabled child, a severely disabled <clears throat> child forever changes your life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a lot of parents, right, have no hope of them growing up, moving out, getting jobs, raising grandchildren, because that's just not in the cards for what they've been dealt with. And many parents have to think about and strategize how to care for a disabled child after their death. Mm-hmm. So think about that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have a, a good friend with a disabled child and he has to, he has to think about how, how is he going to live when I'm gone? And um, his disabled child's 40. So um, that's, that's just the reality. And so even mm-hmm. though many of them intellectually don't grow old, mm-hmm. disabled children do grow old and they need to be cared for. And, um, you know, I think about, you know, those who come here and do ministry at Hunter Park mm-hmm. each and every week. And some of them are like old enough to be my parents mm-hmm. and they're here, you know, and they're doing slight cleaning jobs. And, and, I, and I, I love having them here at our church because they need to get out and do something and have purpose. And um, that's just, I just some, it's just one of the simple ways that I think Sandals Church can help, um, you know, our mentally disabled community specifically. And they can't do a lot, but they can do some things. And I enjoy having them here and they have lunch. I don't know if you guys have seen mm-hmm. them. They have lunch and it's just really, really great. And we love them. So hug your kids tight. Thank God for the healthy children that you have. And uh, if you don't have a healthy child, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It means we live in a fallen world, mm-hmm. a fallen, broken world that God will fix. And uh, one day I believe every child will be healed, right? So the word so-so that Jesus uses means saved physically and saved spiritually, healed. And so we wanna make sure that, that we just remember that, that God is gonna fix it. God is gonna make it right because that's who God is. And the suffering in this world is not um, about God, it's about sin. It's about sin in this world and what's happened in our, in our life. And um, a great book to read for those of you who are wrestling with that concept theologically is The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. I've, I've, man, I don't know how many times I've read it. I've listened to it on tape probably four times. And C.S. Lewis really wrestles with that. And uh, the conclusion that he comes to, and I believe it's the best solution, is that God has created the world with the most freedom, but in order to have freedom, there has to be suffering. Mm-hmm. And so he's created a world with the most liberty and the least suffering, the least amount of suffering that's possible with the most liberty that's possible. And that's the world that we've created. And so the reason freedom is important is so that people can make a choice mm-hmm. to choose where they will spend eternity in the next life. And uh, I'm praying that all of you will choose Christ and will choose to, to follow Christ. And um, <clears throat> because it's, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Praying for you. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have one last question here from Don. Um, and you talked this weekend just about how to heal a broken heart. Um, a lot of times we would turn to worship and worshiping yeah. God and being grateful to God. So Don says, we are told that God loves us. How do we believe this when everything seems to go wrong? I want to be Paul and Silas who are singing in prison, but honestly, I'd rather attack the guards and escape than sing. How do we get from here to there? I can't imagine singing when life is so awful sometimes. Right. So here, here's what I would do. What was his name? Don? Don. Don, here's what I would do. The first thing that I would do is, is, is look at what you're doing. So one of the first things we need to do is we need to ask ourselves, am I doing something that's causing suffering? Most people in our church are suffering from self-inflicted wounds, bad choices, immoral lifestyles, right? And, and, and that's, just, that's just the correlation. So, um, you know, President Obama did a massive, massive research study on how to eradicate poverty in America. And um, the, the research came back and said, there's three things that you need to do. The, the three ways, one is graduate high school. Two is to wait till, uh, to not have a child until you're married. And three was not get married until you're 21. Those three things are the greatest weapon against poverty in the United States of America. I'm not kidding, that's a government survey, mm-hmm. right? What, what, what has God's word been saying for mm-hmm. a long time? Not graduate high school, but, but be wise, grow, learn, study. So, so many of our wounds are self-inflicted. Um, you know, countries suffer around the world, not because of resources, but because of corruption, um, 
hoarding, you know, evil. Government officials don't serve, but exist to serve themselves. And so what, where, where in my life am I corrupt? And let me get rid of that corruption. So let me first take account for my life. Then there are consequences um, living in the world that we live in. And so a lot of times we personalize the suffering. And so I remember that we had a family in our church leave the church in 2008 or nine because they didn't understand. And he worked in construction and he didn't understand why God was judging him. Well, it had nothing to do with him. It had to do with the economic reality of our time. And um, look, man, all, all throughout scripture, right? There's famines, there's difficulties, there's whatever. And as Christians, we need to save for a rainy day. We need to not live above our means. We need to be ready. We need to be flexible. Um, and just economically, for most of human history, do you know what you did when there were eco- was an economic crisis? Do you know what you did? You don't have any idea. Uh, how, 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 how did the uh, Israelites end up in Egypt? Slavery. Oh, migrate. They migrated. They moved. Well, now nobody does that anymore. No, nobody, everybody stays right where they are and they want everything to change. <laughs> and then we're mad at God. And so what I would say is, where is God calling you to migrate? Where is God calling you to move? Where is God? So my family ended up in California because there were no jobs in Oklahoma and Arkansas. Mm-hmm. They were dirt poor. My dad's family came out of Texas during the Dust Bowl, right? No jobs, no economy, nothing. And they came to California for opportunity. And so that's what, you know, think, well, I want to live here. Well, I was raised here. Well, that's not historically how people have acted. They go where the jobs are. They go, they go wherever. And so you need to be willing to look at that and say, God, what do I need to change in my life? So I would look there. Then I would just say, okay, God, after I've done that, after I've done soul searching, look, man, here's the way life is. And so that's why um, Reinhold Niebuhr's uh, prayer, what's it called? Um, serenity. The serenity prayer. So many people need to read that. So Lord, you know, basically give me the best life possible and help me to be okay with that. I mean, that's a, that's a summary of that prayer. But that whole prayer is to embrace life as it is and trusting what it will be someday. And so again, that's, that's how we get through the darkest times of our life. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil in the presence of my enemies and surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I just gave you a whole chapter of scripture, Psalm 23, right? And it's, how how does he get through the valley of the shadow of death? God's rod and God's staff are comforting him. God's protecting me even though I'm going through this. Even though I'm surrounded by enemies, God's anointing me. What is he anointing me with? The knowledge that one day I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Even if you kill me, I'm gonna be okay. And so that's where we gotta wrestle. But life is difficult, life is dark. But a lot of it is, what are you paying attention to? I, man, I don't know why, but Tammy's been putting on the news lately. And I just looked at her like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. This is terrible. Like it's all bad or not all, but it's it's Most mostly it really, really bad news. Um, and we, we, we live in a, a, a culturally dark thing. You know, um, that shooting that just put, took place at the, uh, what was it called? Borderline in Borderline. Did you read the guy's tweets? No. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Like he, he, he was tweeting. So he came in, he shot the first round and then, and then in between he started tweeting out and he was talking about what everybody going to say about him. So um, I don't know if this has been made public because I, I saw this from maybe somebody I shouldn't have, but he, he was tweeting out and what he was saying is there's no point to life. Like life is dull. Life is boring. Like he's completely detached himself from people. Mm. And I think that's what happens um to a culture that rejects God, we reject purpose and we reject meaning. Like nobody knows, nobody knows why what they do matters. Like um, when you live in a culture that that honors God, even even um, so, think about the people of Israel. The people of Israel would have been far more like our migrant workers in our state mm-hmm. than they would be, you know, the people in L.A., San Francisco, or San Jose. E- even even you know, picking that grain, right? They were poor people. They were the people of the land, trusting God for everything, not wealthy, not powerful, not large, but they had purpose. We're the children of God. Mm-hmm. And that got them through. I mean, you want to talk about an awful history, like the Jewish history is pretty rough. Mm-hmm. And yet, man, they've got through that. And, um, you know, even that shooting that took place at the synagogue, a lot of Christians don't know, you know, uh, the Tree of Life Synagogue is, I think it comes from Proverbs 318, 
Uh, the word of God is a tree of life for all those who cling to it. Hmm. And so, you know, the Jewish people are able to have purpose and have meaning because of what God says. Like, no matter what happens, you're gonna get through this and, and I'm with you. Jesus says, even to the end of the age. What does he mean? Even to death, man, I'm there with you. And I'm gonna be with you and take heart for I have overcome the world. Man, and, and, that's, and that's the drumbeat of Christianity, right? The resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. And we have to remind ourselves, it's not just about this life, it's about eternal life. It's about eternal life. Um, you know, my son and I, we watched uh, Braveheart and I, and I love the line where he says, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. Mm -hmm. And so think about this, Christians. <clears throat> you know, Jesus is hard to, to, to figure out economically, right? Everybody wants him to be a socialist or a capitalist or whatever. And the truth is he kind of says things from both things. So, um, or maybe not capitalist, but he, if, he's definitely not a socialist. And here's why. A lot of people believe that heaven is going to be this equal place. So, what you, what you believe about Jesus determines where you spend eternity. What you do for Jesus depends how, de determines how you spend eternity. So trusting God now, serving God now, risking for God now, all those things, Jesus says, I will pay you back a hundredfold. Those are real promises. Those are real things. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when we focus on the here and now is we lose our perspective for eternity. It doesn't mean we don't wanna make life better for people or we don't stand up for justice or inequality. We do those things, but we get discouraged when we only look at today. We just do. If we keep everything with an eternal perspective, man, we trust God and, and we know that, that God's gonna do something good. And so I, I think, you know, Paul says, think about things of heaven, right? He writes that to the Philippians. Um, and so that's where I'd say is we become dark and depressed when we're only looking at what we can see. And yeah, life is hard. And, and I think a big part of why so many people are struggling is because we've lied to them. And we've said that it's gonna be easy. Mm -hmm. Look, you guys are married. married. Marriage is not easy. You both love your spouses. It's not easy. You love your children. Children are not easy. Paying rent is not easy. Working is not easy. N none of those things are easy. And so it's difficult. And so here's the thing. One of the lies um, that we're being told is if all those things were free, then we'd have peace. Well, that doesn't work either. Mm -hmm. Rich people are miserable too. So we need something more than just simple security and fat bellies. We need Jesus. We need God to direct us. And so um, I don't know if I answered all of his questions. I would say so, because he just basically, like how do we turn the corner from seeing that life is awful and being able to turn and sing and praise God? I think you talked about that. Well, right? again, so life is bad. God is good. That, that, that's what I do. And so when, I, when I'm overwhelmed with my life, mm -hmm. literally, you know, and that's why we read Psalms this week. It is good to give praise to the Lord. It, it, it's good because it is good. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's good for us. It's good for you to take the attention off yourself and place it on God. This weekend I said, you know, a lot of people think they're stars. You're not a star, you're the moon. And when you are focused on yourself, you're dark, lifeless, floating through space, you, you do nothing. When the attention is on God, God's light shines on you and you're a beautiful moon. Like last night, I told my wife, I was like, look at the moon. It's gorgeous last night, but it's not the moon that's gorgeous. It's the light of the sun hitting the moon. Mm. And um, so, so if Christ is the star of our life, we're gonna be light. If we're the star of our life, you're, you're gonna be miserable. And that's coming from a three. I'm an Enneagram <laughs> three, right? And I wanna be the star. So um, that's what I would say, Don, but, um, I, I think our current media thrives on things being terrible. They oh just God. do. And it's just, you know, I, my doctor, uh, my knee doctor is from India and um, I, I haven't seen him in a while, but he, he just, he's dumbfounded why Americans think life is so bad here. He's like, you know, I'm, I was gonna make an Indian voice, but that's racist. Um, but he's like, I don't get it. Yeah. He's like, I don't get it. Now he lives in Palm Springs. So maybe he doesn't get it, but- <laughs> But he's like, the problems people, like in India, people die and people, your body will stay there for days. Like until it starts stinking so bad, somebody's got to move it. Like no, nobody cares. And he's like, here, you know, he's like, we're mad about traffic. You've been to India. You've both oh, been yeah, to India. That's, that's a like, there's a whole nother traffic. category <laughs> it's true. for traffic. I mean, it's just for smog. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, I mean, I love India. It's disgusting. Like environmentally. <laughs> So I've never been to the ocean in my life and not wanted to get in until I went with you to the beach in India. Yeah, I did not want to go in that it, water. 
It was literally wave after wave of trash. Mm -hmm. And where we were was one of the better places, mm -hmm. one of the wealthier places. Mm -hmm. It was just, it's just filthy. Mm -hmm. And um, man, I'm looking forward to the Lord and cleaning this place up. It's going to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you guys noticed, but President Trump just signed that order to clean up that trash in the Pacific Ocean. Have you heard about it? Mm -mm. There's trash in the Pacific Ocean the size of Texas. <laughs> a floating island of trash and the size of Texas in the Pacific Ocean. And, and everybody's been fighting. And so he just signed a bill. America's going to clean it up. But think about that. So I'm waiting for Jesus to clean it up. So yeah, it's cool. gross. Yeah. So sorry, Don. <laughs> Don't look at the trash. Go to Hawaii. Yeah. Pick a clean beach. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so or much. Palm Springs. Yeah, that'll do too. I love Pretty Palm close. Springs, dude. Me too. I love me some Palm Springs. Mm -hmm. Good restaurants. Mm -hmm. Good food. Mm -hmm. I wish I I wish you played golf. I don't need to play golf. I just need to lay on a chair. Oh, me and you hitting a ball. <laughs> I'll watch you. Doesn't it I'll feel drive. good just to crush a little white ball? I'll drive the cart. I think I need you to hit Just kind of recline. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. I don't want to pull something. I want to see Stephanie play golf. Oh, no thanks. Can right. I send my husband instead? He loves golf. Take him. Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> I, know. I don't even want to wear a polo shirt. Yeah, we're not doing loose. that. No. All right, we love you guys. <laughs> Thank you for the real questions.